Hello, and welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, or whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Colleen Fall. She is a wife and mother of two toddlers, one of whom is blessed with special needs. She's the author of a faith-based children's book for the special needs community. So she's here to talk about that and kind of her parenting and life journey. So thank you so much, Colleen. Why don't you go ahead and tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Thank you so much, Sarah. It is great to be here. Um, Like Sarah told y'all, I am a wife. I'm a mom. I have two very rambunctious toddlers at home. I have a little boy named Sammy who is three years old. And I have a little girl named Gracie who is almost two. And Gracie, my youngest, is actually uh, a very special child of ours. She, We found out when she was almost six months old that she had a very rare genetic disorder called tuberous sclerosis complex. And she also was suffering from a very rare form of child epilepsy called infantile spasms. And when we found out about all of that, that was a real shock to us because leading up to that, we thought we had a healthy baby. So, um, that was, that kind of just turned our whole world upside down. And in the aftermath of all of that, somehow I just got inspired to write, to start writing a children's book. And now I'm an author, published author, and it's been a wild ride, uh, tackling the publishing world. Um, because that is a very steep learning curve to start with that. And, and I had no prior training in in that arena at all. So pretty much had to self-teach myself. Um, but it's been, it's been a beautiful journey. It really has. I've been just, it's one crazy roller coaster, just filled with blessings one right after the other. And it's led me to start getting onto podcasts, which has led me to be talking with Sarah, who is delightful. So I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> Thank you. Well, do you want to talk a little bit kind of, you know, having your first kid and then having your daughter and, you know, for six months thinking we've got two healthy kids, what mm-hmm. that change was really like and learning more since it, you know, her diagnosis was with a rare disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Okay. So having my son, Sammy, who, um, by all medical measurements is a, is a typical child. He, um, we, we thought, you know, (laughs) he kind of lulled us into a, and I guess kind of almost a false sense of security. Sammy was great. He, he was a really just jolly, happy, wonderful little baby boy. And then we actually were surprised when we found out that I was pregnant with Gracie, that was, um, that was, I got pregnant eight months after Sammy was born. We had been planning to wait until he was closer to two years old before I got pregnant again. Um, but, uh, it, it, we got, it happened when it happened. And when she, when Gracie was born, um, I mean, she came out every, all of her vital signs, everything looked normal. She, she was, you know, a, a healthy, um, crying baby girl. Uh, she 
there was no reason for us to suspect that anything was amiss, given the information we had at the time when she was born. However, as time started going on, oh, as time started going on, um, we started to notice that there were some things that she was a little slow at. She was slow to meet some milestones. And we noticed in particular that her vision was kind of weird. It, she couldn't focus on things. She, her eyes had real trouble. As she was getting to two and three months old, she was having, she was still having trouble like focusing on things. And that's normal for a newborn, but as they get to be a couple of months old, that generally is supposed to lessen, but it didn't for her. So I took her to an ophthalmologist, a pediatric ophthalmologist, and he just told me that her eyes were probably slow to mature. Just give her a little bit more time. She'll be fine. And I used that, I mean, that slow to mature diagnosis to kind of justify the other milestones that she wasn't meeting on time. Things like reaching for things. She wasn't reaching for things probably because in, she couldn't see them, you know, that kind of a thing. I would, I would kind of just justify and, and explain away things like that. Um, she was a very fussy baby. We thought that she was just colicky. We thought that, you know, some, some babies are fussy, you know, Sammy wasn't a fussy baby, but we figured, you know, she's probably going out of her way to show us how not like Sammy she is. So <laughs> she wants to be understood as unique. That's, that's what I told myself. Um, so, uh, she was a generally fussy baby and she was very attached to me. Like I was the only one who could calm her down a lot of the time. Um, but as time went on, she got to be four and then nearly five months old, she still wasn't reaching milestones. And I, I became less and less comfortable with that just slow to mature diagnosis. There was something there was something that seemed a little bit more off than just that to me. So I brought it up to her pediatrician and he, she, um, with, with her pediatrician, I asked her, um, you know, I know that the ophthalmologist just said that her eyes are slow to mature, but just to rule anything else out, can we, uh, can we get her an appointment with a neurologist just to see what's going on, just to make sure that there's nothing else going on? And just more to humor me than anything else, she, the pediatrician didn't seem concerned at all. But just to humor me, she said, sure, let's, let's, we'll set up a, a referral for you to for have her seen by a neurologist. And she told me that the neurology department at the hospital we were at is very backed up. It'll take a really long time for you to be seen. So she told me she was going to refer me to another hospital that was about an hour away, thinking that I'd have a much, a, a better chance of being seen more quickly there, which sounded fine to me. So, but this other hospital, there was something going on in their administrative office because there was like things it, a month ended up going by and I kept on calling every week, every week, and they still hadn't even made an appointment for us yet. There was like the referral didn't go through or this or that hadn't been filed properly with insurance. I don't know. But there was something going on every time. And I would call every few days and they would just keep on giving me the runaround. And we still didn't have an appointment. And in the meantime, Gracie was 
not only not reaching any more milestones, she had actually started regressing, which really concerned me. She had stopped being able to roll over. She had stopped smiling. And I, I, was, I was getting more and more concerned. And then finally, right at the end of her being five months old, almost six months old, she um, starts doing these really weird arm motions where both of her arms would start off at her side and then they would just shoot up above her head, both of them at the same time. And if you looked at her, you could tell she herself was surprised by this. She didn't understand what was going on. And then her arms would come back down and then 10 seconds later, they would shoot up again. And that to me, and this would happen over and over and over again. And that to me looked really strange. I didn't know what I was looking at, but it looked really weird to me. And it, it was, I, it, something was, I had an alarm bell going off in my head of just like, something's wrong, something's off. And I showed this, I showed her doing this to my husband and he wasn't sure what it was, but he didn't know what it was either. Like he, he wasn't sure what to make of it. And then I showed it to my mom and my mom luckily happens to live next door to us. So I was able to just bring her right over and show my mom what was going on. And my mom saw Gracie's arms going up and she was like, that's not normal. There's something very wrong here. Babies don't do this. Uh, <laughs> and I think after I heard that from her, <laughs> um, I, at that point I jumped into high alert mode. I grabbed Gracie, I grabbed my wallet, I grabbed my husband and we got in the car and we sped down, um, the ambassador Caffrey, which is the main highway here. And we, we got ourselves to the hospital as fast as we could. It was an extremely highly illegal car ride. We were speeding and Gracie was not in a car seat because we couldn't get the straps over her arms because they kept on shooting up and she was crying. So we were just, we, we probably would have gone to jail if we'd gotten pulled over. Um, but we made it to the ER and they, we show them videos of, of what Gracie's arms were doing. They heard her crying and the, the ER staff, they did a chest x-ray and they took a blood panel and then they came back to us and they said, we can't find anything wrong with her. <laughs> She's probably just being fussy. Go home. And like at, at that point we had been there for about five hours. Gracie was, it was like 11 o'clock at night. Gracie was finally asleep in my arms and they told me that she was fine. And I really just, I wanted that to be true. I wanted to believe that that was the case. And so I was like, okay, okay, let's just take her home. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to wear the overreactive mom hat now, but I'm okay with that. So we took her home. And then the next day I started texting some girlfriends and asked, and just like, you know, just started telling them what was going on with Gracie. You know, you won't believe what we did last night. We went to the ER and I started describing what these arm motions were. And one of my friends actually sent me in a text, a video of another baby doing these exact identical arm motions that Gracie was doing the day before. And the title of the video said infantile spasms. 
And I didn't know what infantile spasms was, had never heard of that at all. Uh, but I, so I jumped on Google and I did a quick Google search and five minutes on Google told me that infantile spasms is a rare form of epilepsy found in young children. And it's basically, it, it, what I caught on to was it's dangerous, it's serious, and it needs to be treated immediately. And the way you diagnose it is with an EEG. That's what I, so armed with that information, I got on the phone with her pediatrician and I called and I said, I think my daughter is having infantile spasms. She needs an EEG today. And the lady on the phone said, okay, well, you've already got a referral to a neurologist on file. Why don't we just keep your appointment at the other hospital? And I told her, you don't understand. I still don't even have an appointment at the other hospital. They haven't made one for me yet. They've been giving me the runaround. I don't want to go to this other hospital. She needs an EEG today. And that's when they put me on hold. <laughs> and they had me on hold for a while. Then they came back and they said, Ms. Fall, we can put you on the roster here for the neurology department at this hospital, but you won't get seen for at least a month. And that's when I said, okay, darling, I hear what you're saying and I understand what you're saying. Now I need you to hear and understand me. My daughter needs an EEG today. And I just kept on saying that over and over again, today, today, today. And I told him I wasn't getting off the phone until she had an appointment for today. And um, for me, that was the first time I had ever like stepped out of my comfort zone to speak to a, a medical staff that way. I usually have been very content to just go with whatever the doctors told me to do. But this was my first, I think my first experience with what it really means to advocate for my daughter. And just mama bear just came out. Um, but they put me on hold again. And so eventually they came back. I said, okay, Miss Fall, we can schedule your daughter for an EEG tomorrow. Is that soon enough? I said, okay, we will wait until tomorrow. And that gave me about 24 hours to really look up what infantile spasms was. And everything I found out was scary. It was, so I was just, I was trying my hardest just not to freak out. So basically what I learned was infantile spasms is when your child is having dozens to hundreds of seizures a day that are happening in clusters of dozens to hundreds at a time, and they're happening seconds apart. So every time Gracie's arms would shoot up, that was a seizure is what we found out. So but we didn't know that that's what it was yet. So um, we go to the hospital the next day and I am just praying the entire time, just please, dear God, let me be wrong. Let it be something else, something less serious. Um, but they brought her in and they hooked her up to an EEG. And for, for, uh, for people in your audience who have never had an EEG before, it's they have to connect all these little wires to, Gra to her head, to Gracie's head. And they have to use like paste to do it. And Gracie was just having none of this. This is my little five month old. Um, she was not excited about that process at all, but finally they got them all on. There's like 30 of them. And then with, and then my job was to hold her 
calmly, quietly in this room on this hospital bed and try to get her to go to sleep. And so my, I'm, I'm laying down on this, um, on this hospital bed and she's finally starting to go to sleep. And then they turn the EEG machine on and then within, and it's me and this one little EEG technician lady in the room and Gracie in my arms. And the room is kind of half lit, uh, dimly, dimly lit. And she turns the EEG machine on and within 30 seconds of the screen turning on, she's looking at it and then she starts getting on her phone and texting like crazy. And I found out later she was texting the neurologist at the hospital. I guess he was somewhere else in the building. And I could tell the energy in the room had just shifted. And I asked her, is everything okay? Is What's going on? Is everything all right? And she put her phone down and she looked at me and she said, I am not the neurologist. I am not qualified to make a diagnosis. So I shouldn't be telling you this. However, I know that if that was my daughter in that hospital bed, I would want to know your daughter has infantile spasms. And at that point, just this big boulder just felt like it fell right on top of me. And I can't move because I don't want to wake Gracie up because she's laying in my arms and I'm on this bed. So I'm just like, my whole world just changed in that moment. It was really scary because I had learned that people, children who have infantile spasms, there's a very wide spectrum of effectiveness. And there's on the, on the mild side of kids who have this who have infantile spasms, and then they get medicine quickly, they catch it early, they get on medicine quickly, the seizures stop, and then they go on with their lives and they develop normally, and that's it. And then there's the opposite end of that spectrum where kids who have infantile spasms end up not being able to get the seizures under control, and they're very severely affected developmentally, cognitively, emotionally, like just, it, it, it's very, very debilitating for them. And they do not develop normally as, as adults. And they have a lot of delays and, um, it's very life altering for them. And it was just really scary finding that out. So they immediately admitted us to the hospital and we ended up staying there for three days. And while we were there, Gracie turned six months old. And they performed about a hundred tests on her, different kinds of tests. One of them was an MRI of her brain. And when the results of the MRI came back, the neurologist came and talked to us and said, Hey, your daughter's brain MRI does not look typical. She has lesions on her brain and her brain could possibly be slightly misshapen. And we think that she has another condition in addition to the infantile spasms called tuberous sclerosis complex. I didn't know what that was either. So I jumped on Google and uh, Google told me that tuberous sclerosis complex is an even more rare genetic disorder. And it is basically where the, the, the gene in her DNA that is responsible for cellular growth has a mutation on it and is malfunctioning. So what that results in is your, her body is just producing all of these extra cells that take the form of benign non-cancerous tubers. 
that could literally show up anywhere in her body, in her brain, on any of her vital organs, in her skin, in her eyes, literally anywhere they could show up. And the, the tubers themselves are not cancerous, so they're not dangerous in and of themselves, but depending on where they decide to show up and how many there are and how big they decide to grow, they can cause some very severe health problems. And there's also a very wide spectrum of effectiveness for tuberous sclerosis, ranging from the very mild to the very, very severe, resulting in, again, developmental delays and heart problems and kidney failure and all of these other very severe medical issues and, and developmental delays that are just terrifying as a parent to find out about. So... I'm sitting there, and they also found out in the hospital that Gracie has two holes in her heart. So I'm just sitting there like, this girl can't quit winning the lottery. Like, she should buy tickets. My goodness. Like, what is going on? And so I was just, my world just got rocked to the core. <laughs> and and I'm just sitting there just looking at my baby girl, just holding her and trying to care for her and loving her terrified of her future now, terrified of what was going to happen because, I mean, without even realizing that I had it, I had all of these plans for her. I had all of these dreams for her that, you know, I think every parent has, you know, all these dreams of, of, of just, you know, they're going to grow up and, and pick a, a career and possibly meet somebody, fall in love, get married, have kids, you know, you know, just the, the typical stuff that parents dream of for their children. And we couldn't take that for granted anymore. We couldn't assume that that would happen for her anymore. We couldn't even assume a lot of like any more, much more basic, basic things that every parent assumes and presumes that their kids are going to grow up to do one day, like things like walking, talking, learning to feed themselves like this. We couldn't take any of that for granted. We couldn't assume that Gracie would grow up to learn how to say, I love you, mommy. Like she still hasn't learned how to say that. I can't assume that I will ever hear her say that to me. Um, like it's, it's very, it was very jarring. It was very scary. Um, just, and, and shocking. I think it's shocking is a big, big thing. Um, just because it wasn't expected. We thought we had a healthy baby walking into that hospital and we found out we didn't like, not just that she wasn't healthy, but that she was really not healthy. Like there was, there was something major going on and it was uh <laughs> it was a roller coaster it really really was um yeah yeah i mean it definitely i think would be shocking for anyone and you know to have had that friend kind of say like hey here's a video of somebody mm-hmm. else's child doing this like for you to then be able to advocate and be like no we need the eeg like i think mm-hmm. that was probably extremely vital in in this journey mhm no, it really, really was. And like I said, I had never, I had never taken that kind of a, of attack with any, with any medical professional before. I had always kind of just been in this mindset of assuming that, you know, these guys went to school for years, they know their stuff 
and they certainly know more than I do. So if they suggest that I do something uh, for medical purposes, that's probably the path we should take. And just I've, I've been very, I had been very trusting up to that point. And this was the first time I realized, okay, no, I know what my daughter needs more than they do. Like, this is my job to make sure that she is, that she gets what she needs and like, (laughs) get, get in my way at your own peril. That's where I was at. Like the mama bear had, that was, that was my first real big mama bear moment. And, um, I mean, yeah, thank goodness that they kind of eventually uh, got to the place of, okay, we'll, we'll let you be seen. But I was at the point where I was just going to show up at the hospital and, and, and just not leave until they saw us. That was, that was kind of where I was at. Um, (laughs) it was, and and sometimes you need to do that. Mm -hmm. Sometimes parents really do need to take that tack. Um, unfortunately, but it's what's needed sometimes. Right. Yeah. You have to figure out the best way to advocate. Now Mm -hmm. you mentioned how both of these, you know, situations have very wide spectrums and you're not really Mm -hmm. sure what the future may hold. So what has kind of been since the diagnosis point, what has been like Gracie's life? You know, has she, is she getting better or at least managing these things? Okay, so she got diagnosed when she was six months old. Uh, she turned six months old in the hospital, and she is now almost two years old. She's going to be turning two in June. So it's been about a year and a half. And in the time since then, she we identified a lot. I mean, I had, I had told you already that she was slow to meet milestones. We identified a lot of delays that she was already experiencing. And we did our best to get her into therapy as soon as we could. We also did our best to get the seizures under control. That was the, the seizures were our first and, and primary concern at, at that point because they were so damaging. So we um, got referred to a, a TSC clinic of excellence in Houston, Texas, and Thanks to a friend of mine who actually works there, we were able to get a very early appointment. We got an appointment within two weeks of this. So we were able to get her in there and be seen by that friend of mine who happens to be uh, an infantile spasms, the infantile spasms program director at Texas Children's Medical. Like I, we didn't, I didn't even know that until Gracie got diagnosed. Um, which was just amazing and a, a little a miracle in and of itself. But they were able to help us get her on to the right dose of the right kind of medicine to get her uh, seizures on, seizures under control. And thank goodness she has been seizure-free now for over a year. So that has been a miracle in and of itself. I'm so thankful for that. And once we started to get her seizures under control, we started working on getting her into therapy to help her catch up in the, in the departments that she was delayed in. She has gone to see, uh, she's gone to speech therapy. She's gone to physical therapy, occupational therapy. She's gone to feeding, um, which I guess is still technically occupational therapy, but she is, she's very delayed in her speech development still. And she is still primarily bottle fed. She's got mostly a liquid diet and 
So we've been taking her to therapy to try to get her to eat solid foods. She's very opposed to solid foods. Um, she was in physical therapy, but she was able to catch up in that area. She's actually now she's, she's moving. She's, she's very mobile and she's very, she's into everything. She wants to climb everything now. So she's actually ahead of schedule in the, in the motor department, in the gross motor department. So that's the one place she actually excels. And, um, we actually, she actually got diagnosed with autism, um, back in February. So she has an autism spectrum disorder. Um, so she does have that as well. And she's also got vision issues. We're trying to get her to wear glasses, but she doesn't like having the glasses on her face. So she keeps pulling them off. I mean, I think that's kind of typical for any toddler. Um, but we're trying to get her to wear those to help with her vision. And she's been, she, and she's also had, uh, she's been seeing a cardiologist for the holes in her heart. One of the holes has actually closed up all on its own. And so we're kind of just monitoring how she's doing now. And the cardiologist actually thinks the other hole might close up on its own eventually as well. So say a prayer, fingers crossed for that. Um, and let me see what else is going on with her. She's, I mean, she's, there's a lot going on medically. Yes. But at the same time, her little personality is just amazing. She's the happiest baby now. I mean, now that this, she was a very fussy infant, but once we got the seizures under control, she like, it's like she, she woke up, she transformed and she's so happy now. She smiles all the time. She's just so, she's the sweetest thing. And even though she can't verbally speak, she communicates. She gets her, she makes her needs known. She will come and she'll grab your finger. She'll bring you to wherever she wants you to go. And she will make sure that you understand what she wants. So it's not like she can't communicate. She's, and even though she is autistic, she, she's very social. She, she, it's not like she avoids people. She is, uh, she loves being played with. She loves, um, laughing and just, just loving on people and being loved on. And, um, she's, she's just a joy. She really is a joy. And I feel very blessed. I look back at where I was when she was first diagnosed and I was just very full of fear of of what the future would hold because I didn't have any clue what would what she would turn into but she's turned into this beautiful I mean she was always a joy she was always a joy she was my baby she was my baby girl but she's she's just blossomed she really really has she's on her own journey but she's a gift like unlike anything I could have ever hoped for or dreamed for dreamed of like I'm just so blessed to have her and when you first mentioned your two kids, you uh, labeled them as rambunctious um, <laughs> and that, you know, you weren't originally planning to have a second child so soon after Sammy. Mm -hmm. So what has, you know, Gracie, you know, getting this help and support, what has it been like for Sammy and his development? So Sammy, they are only 17 months apart. Um, Sammy... I think naturally is a little bit territorial with her. He, I mean, like he just, 
<laughs> so it's me and Lance and our little family, and we live next door to my parents. So before Gracie was born, he had four doting adults at his beck and call for his entire life. And then this this little girl shows up and starts encroaching on his turf and take and stealing some of his spotlight. And he's this very just, you know, attention getting kid. So he has been, um, there's definitely some sibling rivalry there, but he also loves her. He loves her so much. And he has, especially, I think more in the last six months or so than ever before, he has really just become very, very sweet with her. And he has his moments where he's, you know, jealous of something she gets to do or she's taken his toy or something. And that's normal sibling stuff. But he has, um, I don't think he understands that there is anything different about her. I don't think he understands that she is not a typical child. She's just Gracie to him. And he's, and she's his sister and he loves her. And he doesn't understand at three years old that it's not normal to have to go to four different therapies every week. He doesn't understand that most people don't have um, therapists coming into their home and and helping Gracie with this, that, or the other every day or every other day. He like to him, that's just life, and it's normal for him and he hasn't really resented that in any way because to him it's just normal he's more resentful of the fact that gracie will take his toy than than anything else <laughs> so so i think his development is fine i think his is is typical first child um mentality and he's very I mean, like he has just, he started saying, you know, I love you, Gracie. I love you so much. He'll go up and he'll give her hugs. He'll, he'll, you know, if he, if he does, if he takes something from her, I'll tell him, you know, go give it back. And then he'll go, I'm sorry, Gracie. And he'll just like, you know, give her a big hug. You know, it's, it's adorable. It's just sweet. Like he, he's got a mixture of sibling rivalry and sibling love. And it's, it's precious to see. It's precious to behold. <laughs> yes. Now you mentioned, of course, how you were kind of inspired to write a book mm-hmm. after, you know, kind of going through all of this with Gracie. So do you want to share kind of what, you know, the book is about and the publishing process and and <laughs> what all of that has meant to you? Sure, sure. So like I said, when we first found out about all of this, I think understandably so. I I was thrown into a bit of a chaotic mindset. I was very, uh, you know, scared of what was to come. And I think I started going through what I can most accurately describe as a grieving process. Um, I mean, not necessarily grieving a death, but grieving a life not lived. And just grieving, you know, all these hopes and dreams I had for Gracie that were not necessarily going to happen anymore. And I was really like, I was very, very sad. I was very, very sad. And just, um, I think I went into a, a little bit of a depression for a couple of months of just, you know, just grieving. I was grieving. Um, and I think every special needs parent goes through their version of that. Um, 
But so after, uh, it's probably, probably about three months after her diagnosis, I am just sleeping one night. I'm, I'm in my bed and I wake up literally in the middle of the night one night with the idea for this children's book. I mean, of all things, I'd never thought I was going to ever write children's books, anything like that. It was completely out of left field, out of the blue. But I got the idea for this children's book. And I got up. And it was such a strong feeling. I had. I got up and I went to my laptop and I just started typing. And I typed and typed for a couple of hours. And I finished the entire first draft right as the sun was coming up. I went back to bed, came back a couple hours later, and I read it. And it was like someone else had written it. I, to this day, I mean, I am, I should, I should mention, I am a very faithful person. I'm a very strong Catholic woman. And I was having, you know, I, I, I turned to God in all of this and I was praying really, really hard and having a lot of honest conversations with God about what was going on with Gracie. And some of the conversations were louder than others, uh, but it, like I was just, I was turning to God and, and, you know, just trying to figure out what he was doing in all of that. And so when I got the idea for this book and I wrote it down, I honestly feel like God gave me the idea for this book as an answer to my own prayer, because I had been praying things like, first I was praying for a miracle. I was praying, God, just please heal my baby, healer, fixer. Just let her be normal. Let her be healthy. And then I just started honestly just breaking down of just, God, you've given her this, but I don't want this for her. I I want her to have a normal life. I want her to be healthy. And I want her to be able to have the kind of choices that most other people get to have in her life. And so I was dealing with all that. And then this book was just an answer to all of those prayers. And so the book ended up being called God's Precious Gift, A Special Needs Child. And I, <laughs> the, uh, let, me, let me tell you this, the, the premise of the story first. So this, the story is, it's basically, it's my story. It's our story. It's a story of a mom and a dad who find out that they're going to have a little girl and they're so excited to, that they would get such a precious gift from God and the baby is born and they're so excited. And then they find out that their daughter is going to be a very special child and is going to have needs that most other kids don't have. And the parents in the book are very worried about this. They're very sad and they're a little scared and they start praying to God for a miracle, the same prayers I was praying. They start praying, God, please fix our baby. And in the book, Jesus comes and talks to the parents. And the conversation starts out with, fix your baby, but she is already exactly the way I chose to make her. And then Jesus goes on to ask them, do you think I make mistakes? And the answer is no. <laughs> the answer is no. And but he but Jesus still can see that the parents are still very worried and scared. And so he goes on to help them understand why he would allow their child to be 
made this, that why he would make their child this way. And he goes on to explain that, first of all, you've got to understand that this child I gave you is already so deeply, incredibly loved by me, by God. And because he allowed her body and her mind to be so special, he made sure that her heart and her soul were special too. And her path to heaven will be easier than the path most other people choose to take. And by caring for her, she is going to be an avenue of God's grace to them. And by caring for her, that is going to be their path to heaven, this path that God has created just for these parents. And God has known, Jesus has known that these parents were going to be, that, th- that this little girl was going to be their child since before they were even born. And he has been preparing them to be her exact parents for their entire life. And she needs that she needs exactly these parents. And so he gave them exactly her and he gave her exactly them and he created them for each other, not as a mistake, not in punishment, but as a gift, as a gift given completely in love. And yes, there's going to be hard times, but that's only going to make the good times even greater. And oh, what great times they're going to have. And he reminds them not to forget that he has already given them all of the graces that they need to be this child's parent and that he is with them during every step of the way. And it's just, it's a beautiful message. It's a beautiful conversation between the parents and Jesus. And it's very clear. It's very gentle, but it's very clear. It's a very clear message of just of love and just it's beautiful. And it really addresses the spiritual side of having a child with special needs. That's why whenever I, I, um, when someone asks me about Gracie, I tell them she is blessed with special needs because it is a blessing. It's a, it's, it's something it's difficult to deal with at times, but it is overall a beautiful blessing. And it was, and this story was a story that I needed to hear as a mom, just personally, I needed to hear this story. I wrote it down, but I needed to hear it. And I have run in, I've encountered so many other parents who also needed to hear it. I I showed it to my husband and uh, he read it and he started crying and I showed it to my mom and she read it. She cried too. And they were both, they both told me, Colleen, this is beautiful. You need to publish this. This needs to become a book. And so, and I was like, "Uh, okay, y'all are biased, but that's okay. That's good. Uh, So, so I got it illustrated and just the process of creating this book was therapeutic and life-giving for me, just, just for me going through my own stuff. Um, it, It was healing for me to create this book. And I ended up publish self publishing it on Amazon uh, KDP KDP Amazon, and I did that just as I, out of convenience as a self publishing tactic tactic to get it published for you know relatively cheap, and so that I could just get it printed for myself. Um, that was my plan. I didn't think anyone would actually read the thing, 
Like, <laughs> I didn't think anyone would actually, you know, I didn't think word of it would get around. I didn't, I didn't really um, expect it to go anywhere. I would, I made it mostly for myself. And then it kind of just started exploding. Um, I had parents just, or, or, you know, caretakers, people, any, any members of, of special needs community, loved ones, they were reaching out to me, reading this book saying, oh my goodness, my heart needed to hear this. My like, or like, or this book just confirms what my heart already knew. Like, this is such, this has helped me so much. Like just beautiful affirmations and testimonials of just reading it. I didn't know that it was going to have this much reach, but it has been just the reception of this book has just been beautiful. And I, I have been blown away by it. Um, and when that started happening, I started thinking, okay, I really need to start taking this publishing thing seriously. And so I started, you know, really looking into, okay, how do you publish a book <laughs> and how do you market a book and get the word out there? So it was, it started off just organically. And then I was like, okay, I need to do this book justice. This is a beautiful message. It needs to get heard. So, um, yeah, that's, that's my very long winded (laughs) answer to your question. That's how, that's how the book came about. (laughs) And like you said, kind of early on, like writing that book was in a way, the Mm -hmm. answers to your prayers, but then Mm -hmm. for other people to just kind of need to see it and hear it as well. Sometimes like having that external perspective can really, mm-hmm. you know, shine a light on on someone's situation to know like I'm not in this alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the community, the community factor was huge for me, especially because I had all of a sudden all of these other families with special needs reaching out to me and, you know, saying, hey, we're in similar situations. We can totally relate. And we needed to read this book, just like you read, you needed to read this book. Or, and and it's, it was just, it was beautiful. Because um, in my immediate physical community, there really aren't any other kids with special needs um, in, in our immediate uh, arm's reach. And so there wasn't really anyone to relate to what we were going through, um, in our, in our circle. And then finally, and then all of a sudden, all of these, all of these other families just started reaching out because of this book. So it was a lifeline as well. It was, it was healing to write. It was therapeutic to make and it, and, and the community it has built has been a lifeline. This whole book experience has just been one blessing after the other. And so between the book and kind of additional community and, you know, the path you're now on with Gracie, do you feel better equipped for the future? Yes, yes, definitely. I, um, I mean, time is a huge, is a, is a huge blessing. I've had time to kind of get over the shock of it. I've had time to adjust to, um, to adjust my expectations with what, the future is going to be. And I've had time to wrap my head around what Gracie needs. I mean, I can't predict the future. I don't know. I mean, any, any, literally at any point, Gracie could have some really bad seizure that could just change everything. But at this moment, the way she is now, I've got at least some semblance of an idea of what she needs. And there are resources that I have been able to take advantage of in our community to help her 
uh, get what she needs to, to help with those things. And the great thing is that we are living in a day and age and in a society in a country that has resources available for children with, with special needs. And there's, you know, we were able to get her, um, approved for Medicaid that has helped tremendously with medical bills that has helped with getting her access to, um, to doctors that she's needed. And we've been able to go to this, this TSC clinic of excellence. We, we are about a four or five hour drive from there. So we're able to go there a few times a year and she's able to see specialists in her condition. And, um, which is great because her conditions are really rare. So the fact that we have people that (laughs) specialize in this and are able to tell us exactly what, what really needs to know what we really need to know about it. This is, that's great. I mean, there has been, I've, I've had time to acclimate to everything and I've had time to grow myself and to, to kind of just get my bearings and I've had time to go through that grieving process that I initially really needed to go through. And And I think it wasn't until I went through that grieving process that I was able to look around and see, okay, the life not lived is, is no more, but there's still a life to be lived here and, and start and be able to start living it, um, enjoy to live it, enjoy and to see, I think, yeah, to see what beauty there was, I think, cause that was the big thing at the beginning, you feel, I felt like there was so much being taken away that I didn't see what was being given. I didn't see what was in front of me. I just saw that what wasn't there anymore, um, which is a flawed perspective, but that's how I was seeing it at the time. Um, but that was, yes, I'm definitely feeling more, (laughs) more equipped just because I've been able to figure, I've had time to figure it out. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would have that sort of flawed perspective in the beginning. You know, you're not immediately Mm going to jump to like, I can handle this and be prepared for anything Mm -hmm. that comes at me, especially when it it is, you know, unexpected in the first time and not necessarily something you're overly familiar with. Mm -hmm. Now, before I start to wrap things up, is there anything else you would like to share with the listeners today? No, just just that. If there's anyone in your audience who is uh, a parent or a caregiver or just a loved one of a child with special needs, not even a child, just anyone with special needs, any age of any kind, um, I would really recommend, you know, sharing my book with them just because it is such a powerful and, and beautiful message. And I would also say if there's anyone in your audience who is who is a parent of a child with special needs or, or, or just a child in need of medical care of any kind. Um, I would, I would just strongly encourage you to trust your instincts. Those are God given. Um, like it is no one else's job in the world, but yours to be the, the parent and the caregiver and the protector of this child. And because you have such a, a, a mighty, responsibility. You're given special gifts and talents that no one else has. And so you may feel sometimes like you're seeing things about your child that no one else can see. 
And it's not that you're crazy. It's not that you're seeing things that aren't there. It's that you're probably seeing things that no one else can see because no one else is the parent. And so trust your instincts. I would, I would really encourage you to trust your instincts and advocate with your doctors or their doctors. Yes, definitely. That is so important for, you know, a child's health and, and even also your own. Now, at the end of all my episodes, I do ask my guests random questions. My question for you today is what is the best type of physical activity? For anyone? For you. For me? (laughs) I would say, (laughs) this is going to sound really silly. Um, The best kind of activity for me is climbing trees. Um, (laughs) I have so much fun just climbing trees uh, just sitting up high. I can't explain it. I think my daughter gets it from me. Uh, she loves to climb on everything. I've been climbing trees since I was a toddler and I've just, I've always loved it. And there's something freeing about it. I think there's something empowering about it. Just climbing up, you know, conquering the heights, um, kind of going into this kind of new world with a new perspective on the world. I don't know. And it's, it's a great, workout to climb and it's fun. So it gets, it taps into your inner child. So I really love climbing trees. <laughs> All right. That brings this episode to a close. So of course, if you would like to check out Colleen's book, uh, her website will be in the description. You can get the book there or alternatively, uh, purchasing it on Amazon, that link will be there as well. And if you'd like to connect with Colleen on Instagram, her social media link will be there for that as well. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast on social media, our website is in the description and it brings you to our sites, which include Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So feel free to go follow those pages. And if you'd like to be a guest on the show, my email is in the description. That is the best way to reach out to me. And if you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, there is a link to do that as well. So thank you so much, Colleen, for spending time with me today and to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye, everybody.